What's up, Freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce a very special episode. Very happy and proud of this episode. Proud that we're able to uh, start talking about this. I've been working behind the scenes outside of the podcast and the newsletter on something that I'm very excited about, a, a mining project, a mining operation where we're using what would have otherwise been flared uh, gas on an oil field to mine Bitcoin. Uh, the company I work for behind the scenes, Great American Mining, uh, has been in a quasi-stealth mode for quite some time. We finally have been live for, for about four months now, five months almost now, geez, um, on site and are, are starting to talk about what we're doing. Um, so I sat down with two co-workers, Austin Storms and Tom Mazzaro, uh, to chat about what we've done, how we're helping this oil company, how we think things may progress, and uh, why we're doing it. So I think you guys are really going to like this. Let me know what you think. Um, uh, I think uh, it's exciting times, especially for, for mining in North America. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by our good friends at the Cash App. As I mentioned during yesterday's episode, the Cash App is helping uh, distribute these, uh, these stimulus paychecks because now they are official bank. They, they, you can get a routing number and a uh, account number via the Cash App uh, and start using it as your bank. And because of this, uh, they're, they're trying to help distribute these $1,200 paychecks, even though $1,200 isn't a lot. If you can get it, you should try to get it, and Cash App is there to help you. Um, there's instructions on the app. I've had a couple notifications since they released it last Friday, I believe. So... Uh, if you have the Cash App, you're wondering uh, if you're going to be able to participate in this stimulus. Uh, they're there to help you. They're going to really try to help uh, hold your hand through this process and, and get you the money as quick as possible. On top of that, they're letting you stack sats. You can stack sats, send sats, receive sats, and sell sats if you so please via the Cash App as little as $1. Very easy. I've been, I, I said it yesterday on Twitter. My name is Marty Bent, and I'm addicted to stacking sats, and I don't plan on on, on curbing this addiction. It's probably only going to get worse from here, um, but the Cash App has made it very easy to stack sats every day. Just, hey, you know what? I got that urge to stack sats. I'm going to open the Cash App, hit the little graph button on the bottom, scroll over to Bitcoin, scroll down a little bit, hit buy, and then pick the amount I want to buy and, and buy it, put my fingerprint in. Uh, because Apple owns my my biometrics, and then and you buy a little Bitcoin, you stack some Sats, and now Stats is the st- Stats Sats is the standard on iOS with the latest Cash App uh, upgrade on upgrade update on iOS. Sats is now the standard. We've been talking about it for weeks. It's only been the standard on Android, and now it has been rolled out to iOS users. Uh, and I believe Auto DCA is coming soon. TM, and then on top of that, if you want to stack slivers of stocks. You can via Cash App Investing. Uh, if your favorite stock is a little too expensive, you can use the Cash App to buy as little as $1. You can stack slivers of stonks. Uh, because your bank account is connected directly to your Cash App or your Cash App is your bank account, you can start investing today. There's no four to five day waiting periods. So get on it. Download the Cash App. Uh, Cash App Investing is a subsidiary square member SIPC. And if you do download the Cash App, when you do, excuse me, use the code stacking sats. That's one word, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. <laughs>
Download the Cash App. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Again, we're uh, we're very excited to be doing what we're doing. We're hoping we can expand uh, and make it a, a large operation and help bring hash power to the United States, to North America, and begin distributing this network even further. Enjoy. Take Plan B. Each day I'm closer to being cash of the future. Not in your wallet, I'm in your computer. I'm the consensus of shared and synchronized digital data spread across multiple platforms from Shanghai to Grenada. Each day I'm closer to being cash of the future. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here for a very, very special episode. I've been teasing a project I've been working on outside the newsletter and the podcast for a couple months now, um, but I think it's time to sort of break out of uh, the underground, if you will, out of stealth mode. I'm sitting down with two team members from the Great American Mining Company, uh, a company that we've been building. Uh, I mean, I've had a small part in it for the last few years uh, in the mining industry. Uh, we're doing some pretty cool things in the oil and gas industry with a very big oil producer that we're not allowed to name, but uh, we're allowed to talk about what we're doing and sort of educate you freaks about what's going on in the mining industry here in America, particularly. I want to introduce you freaks to two co-workers of mine, Austin Storms and Tom Mazzaro. What's up, guys? What's up, Marty? What's up? Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on. Well, it feels good to finally... Uh, be able to talk more about this we've been talking uh in slack behind closed doors for so long about this this is again in a quasi stealth mode and i'm just excited to talk more about it because i think we're doing very very exciting and important things uh so i think the best place to start tom you've got the most experience at the company you're the most tenured employee on this call i think uh you can do a better job than i at sort of describing the inception of Great American Mining and, and our story up to this point and how we sort of got to using waste gas on an oil field to mine Bitcoin. Yeah, well, I think, you know, Marty, it always goes back to where the incentives are. And, um, you know, you and I were working with each other um, kind of at the parent company to, to Great American Mining uh, prior to this, and this started off as a side project, and uh, it started off by us accumulating some Bitcoin, and we decided what most stupid people do when they accumulate a lot of Bitcoin is they say, oh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll go mining and make even more. That's kind of usually the, um, the first mistake someone makes. So we went down the uh, rabbit hole of buying like 100 Dragon Mints at the top of the bull market in 2017, worst possible time you could ever do that. But it's probably the best time to actually learn a very valuable lesson when it comes to mining. 
we thought we could just string these things together, plug them into, you know, wherever and start mining. And then the longer that we kind of started down this road, we started realizing, wow, it's not as easy as people make it out to be, especially to do it at scale. And eventually you get sucked into this wormhole of trying to chase very cheap, scalable, reliable power. And you would think that that's a pretty easy problem to solve. It's actually a very, very, very difficult problem to solve. And so long story short, starting in 2017 towards the end, all the way up until about last year this time, we were kind of failing at what we were trying to do. Um, we'd gone down multiple routes of trying to um, set up, you know, power purchase agreements behind energy grids and doing all kinds of, um, you know, partnerships with folks, but there's, you know, a lot of things just fell through. And then around this time last year, one of the guys on our team, REIT, uh, has an oil and natural gas background. And in Utah, they have a field out there um, called the Uinta Basin. And he happened to know someone who had a water treatment plant who had, and, and part of the byproduct of this water treatment plant that they deal with, with the surrounding oil wells is they, there's a lot of water that comes up and then with that water there's excess natural gas that is kind of part of that process so they actually flare at their facility so they had a conversation and we proposed to them like hey what if we come put a generator on site consume this gas and we mine bitcoin with it and it was kind of like a good old boy handshake deal said sure let's do it uh, they had certain requirements that they were trying to get under for flaring mandated by the state so there was kind of an incentive right there for them and before you knew it we became experts in uh, mining bitcoin off of flare gas and so i would think about two months later we you know had it running for a little bit uh, it was a very small pilot only about 50 kilowatts so maybe like 30 40 um, s9s wasn't anything you know crazy we just wanted to see how it would work we got introduced to a major oil company in the bakken in North Dakota. And that is when we kind of got our, you know, our start doing things on a much bigger scale and really trying to tackle the problem at scale. So that's the, uh, the genesis of, of where we're at right now. And we went live um, early December of 2019. Yeah. It's been a fun journey. A lot of ups and downs, a lot of hard lessons. That's uh, but it has been, it, it's truly been like a baptism by fire experience, like uh, running into hurdles sort of self-reflecting yes. and then moving forward from there. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of insane. The things that um, in theory make a lot more sense to do in a centralized warehouse location, especially when the real metric that you're trying to go after is, you know, sub four cent, sub three cents, sub two cent pricing. Um, you know, you're just like, what are we doing out here in the middle of this, you know, desert, uh, no, you know, no existing uh, telecommunications around. We have to work with a satellite. Um, we need special access to get on these sites. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, traditional more data center models make a lot more sense. So this is very much a, a viewpoint of like what the future should look like, especially from an energy uh, pr producer perspective, because obviously these natural gas and oil companies have a lot of incentive to do something with the wasted uh, resource that they have right now. Yeah. And so that's, I think a good synopsis of our goal or a good gist of the goal of 
what we're trying to do and achieve at Great American Mining is to sort of have these oil and gas companies have the aha moment and realize that they should be investing in this and building out a mining infrastructure on their field so that they can be more efficient with their wasted gas, like you mentioned, and, and overall in the long term, help Bitcoin out and and help protect Bitcoin and distribute Bitcoin further from a mining perspective. Yeah, I think like it's, it's like a twofold um, strategy, which is particularly in areas that have um, regulatory hurdles to deal with, you know, regarding the flaring. So that's not all of the U.S. There's very different ball games to play in different parts of the country, but particularly in North Dakota and in some other states, um, the idea is the carrot here is, hey, we're just going to make your flare problem go away. It's a lot cheaper to do it this way than the other uh, options at this point. And then eventually it's like, hey, uh, you know, there's a little black box that's sitting on your land. Um, there's It actually is a uh, an alternative to your pipeline that you're so worried about trying to connect. And so eventually I think the idea is for them to look at these as distributed digital pipelines um, where they can just set these things up on all their well pads without having, um, you know, the infrastructure of having to do you know, kind of traditional pipelines in the future where they can literally get the value from the molecules from the ground in, in a digital format almost instantly. Yeah. And it's uh pipelines have uh, been big headaches for, for oil and gas companies. There's a lot of pushback, a lot of uh, sunk cost that goes into them. And then they're not as profitable all the time once you do finally right. get them up. Right. And they, and they, and they lose control too. So like, for example, if you think of it as like a market there, it's, it's, they can kind of get boxed into go into going to one market. So like whoever the pipeline owner is at that point, they essentially become dictators in a sense, because they can dictate the price because where else are you going to send your gas? Nowhere. You got to pay them what they want. So this gives us a little bit of like a two-sided marketplace in that scenario. That's a very good point. Um, before we get too thick into the weeds here, uh, I'm very happy that we brought Austin on. Austin's come on the last what six to eight months. Austin. Yeah. Well, and so yeah, and it's and it's this is this is one of the kudos that you get because you've been kind of a, like along for the ride as like maybe three or four of us were kind of figuring out how we were going to do this. And then I think it was around last year, this time you said, Hey, why don't we jump on a, on a zoom call with Austin um, and just get caught up on what's going on. So I think it was right, right around this time last year. Yeah. And so for you freaks that don't know, I had the pleasure of meeting Austin. What was it? Two years ago, bit block boom, two and a half years at this point. Yeah. Two and a half, uh, almost probably almost three years. I guess it was in Dallas, Dallas, right? Yeah. 2017, 2018. I don't know. It's running together at this point. I think it was 2018. We met. I mean, we've been Twitter friend. We had definitely DM before, but and conversed via tweets. But I met you in person in Dallas. Sort of hit it off yes. right away. And so, a few freaks that aren't aware, Austin has been in this mining game longer than than Tom or I with his first company, Bearbox, and has brought an immense amount of knowledge. Uh, when it pertains to like actually building the containers and doing it in an economical way. So I think this would be a good opportunity to sort of get into your history, Austin. Like, how did you get into mining originally? What were your uh, thesis behind building Bearbox? And what was that experience like? Yeah, so uh, originally, I mean, I saw Bitcoin in college, like most of us who were, you know, around 30 years old did. Um, I didn't start building anything really at scale though, until like early 2017. Um, 
first big scale thing I did was Ethereum miners, GPUs, right? So we, uh, we actually, a partner and I bought like all the GPUs that Best Buy's business team had in the entire country Pause. and st- <laughs> stood up a big GPU mine. Um, worked, was a big pain in the ass, man. Those things are not easy to manage. Uh, and then decided, hey, let's start doing some of the ASIC stuff at scale. Um, had uh, participated in the Gigawatt uh, ICO and some of the hosting stuff out there. That all turned out the way that most people know that it turned out. Well, for um, those who don't know how it turned out, how did it turn out? Uh, they So they went bankrupt, um, filed for bankruptcy last year. I guess the beginning of last year, uh, I filed a class action suit against them um, before that. And so that that happened. That was just a crazy, crazy period uh, in my life. Um, And so then I started looking at some of the problems with, okay, you have all these hosting facilities, right? And they have obligations contractual to some of these PPAs that they've signed or even like their leases on the properties, right? And if they don't pay, then your machines are kind of held in escrow. Um, There's problems with physical infrastructure being built and invested in that you can't end up moving if something does change, um, like we saw in central Washington. And so I thought, hey, you know, why don't we start building these things in shipping containers? Because I'd seen it on some Reddit forums. I've seen it on, uh, you know, some of the, some of the, I guess you could say lower quality mining setups, your chicken shacks, Tom, those, those type of things. Right. And, uh, and I was like, I think we could do a quality though. Like we can build these to quality. We can build them in the States and we can source everything here besides the, you know, the mining machines, obviously. And so started building some bear boxes, uh, started working on, you know, what the infrastructure looks like physically from an HVAC perspective, what it looks like from an electrical distribution perspective of, hey, is this in compliance with like the National Electric Code? Because you get jurisdictional issues. Um, And then, you know, the biggest thing, does it actually all work together? Like you put together this Frankenstein of, of a 20 foot by eight foot shipping container with, you know, it's got half a megawatt or a megawatt of power running through it. Does it cool itself down fast enough? Does the internet connection that you're you're mining on can it can it provide the bandwidth up and down, or do you have to stand up a proxy server? Like, there's all kinds of questions that come into it. That I started doing, I guess, like two and a half years ago now. Um, still, still trying to figure them all out too. Yeah, I mean, that's for me at least. It's been crazy to learn the intricacies that go into one of these containers. Like talking about the like the voltage flowing through the gen sets to the fan speeds of the miners to the quality of the gas that that gen sets consuming. There's so many moving variables to take into consideration. <laughs> right. There's a, there's a lot of moving parts and you know, they're, they're all interdependent too. Right. So like, for instance, we just, we use variable frequency drives to control the fan speed. Some people use on-off control. Some people use uh, manual on-off control or three-contact relays. We use VFDs. And like I programmed and built a, a Python PID controller for, the, for that variable frequency drive. Um, essentially, like you've, you've got all these different things. Of if it gets too hot, your power supplies, they start, they start you know, 
working less efficiently and if all of your circuits and and circuit breakers and your wires are sized directly to that like you you end up with some issues from the electrical side and so it's really the it's a fine-tuned balancing act to get everything working together um and that's what we're still trying to like i said figure some of the stuff out uh especially on the gas side too yeah i mean you, you like it yeah yeah well, I was just going to say, and one of the things that we're learning right now is, you know, we just came out of a, you know, what was a relatively mild winter for North Dakota, but still very, very harsh conditions. We've got, you know, periods of time where it was like negative 30, 40 degrees. And now we're heading slowly into the summer and kind of like rain season. So we'll have a whole new set of problems, challenges to deal with, like, you know, sideways rain coming in through our intake and exhaust and winds that are very different blowing sand. So, uh, you know, now we'll have like a whole nother, you know, cycle to kind of get as much data as we can on how to run these things um, as long and as efficiently as we can. Yeah. So I think that's a good segue into another topic is, I mean, Bitcoin's obviously 11 years old. It's A6 going on year seven right now. You're or six and a half maybe or something like that like how how much of a learning curve is there like for anybody not even us like how early are we to this mining game particularly in your in your your guys minds go ahead austin yeah so <laughs> i think that there's just a lot of there's a lot of moving parts right um so y- you have like your your network administration part actually building out your your local networks and how depending on whether you're using like cable or fiber or satellite internet, you've got the entire HVAC side, which is not my forte at all. That's something that Reed's been, I I tasked him with, I was like, Hey man, this is not in my wheelhouse. You go ahead and do it. I know that enough. Um, but you're, you're the chemi, you're the actual engineer on this. Um, that has a lot to do with like static diff. I mean, there, there's so many different pieces, Marty, that go into a mining operation, right? Um, I don't think there's one person that has all the answers. And so, you know, if we're early, right, that was your question. How early are we to the mining game? We're still early. There's not a lot of people that know how to do this stuff, period. No, no that's, yeah, it's, uh, it's <laughs> exciting though, isn't it? You, like, I've known you for like two and a half, I mean, I've known both of you for many years now, but Austin, you particularly, like you just seem infinitely fascinated by like the, the tinkering with these boxes and, and the writing scripts and APIs to communicate with the miners and stuff like that. There's so much to be done. It, there is, there's so much to be done and it's, it's a problem that's never all the way solved. You can always improve upon your current setup. And so finding that, that apex mining setup, right? The apex predator of mining setups, that's what the goal is. But then you throw in things like, are you operating off of hydro? Are you operating off of wind? Are you operating off of gas? And those throw a monkey wrench into your entire operation of what you consider to be your apex predator mining setup. Because your your gas your gas side has different challenges than your wind side versus your hydro side, and so it's it's an ever evolving game, and that's what I like the most about it is like you can't sleep you you always have to like continue to learn whether it's like how you're how you're managing your miners uh, from a network perspective or squeaking out efficiencies on your electrical side, you can't stop, and I think that's what Satoshi kind of wanted 
um, he wanted continual, continuous improvement in, in how we're, we're getting our efficiencies um, and kind of securing the network. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to Austin's point, I think what's interesting right now is that in the mining world, especially when I say mining world, I don't mean um, kind of like your normal hobbyists. I mean, people that are trying to do things over one megawatt in scale at, at the minimum is you're seeing a trend now where even centralized locations are adopting uh, instead of building like a large warehouse and doing all the infrastructure, they're actually using um, the container model as the way to build on site. And so, uh, you know, like a year or so ago, that wasn't the case at all. Um, and now you're seeing very, very large places, you know, stack 40, 50, 60 containers um, on, you know, on some land. It's, it's just cheaper to do it that way. Like that's, that's why I started doing it that way. I mean, you look at some of the physical infrastructure costs of like building an actual warehouse and building a steel structure. It, it doesn't make any sense when you can do it in shipping containers. Um, and that's, I mean, that's what I came to two and a half, three years ago. Uh, and this, this game is ruthless. Mining is ruthless, ruthless capitalism. And there's, there's no room for, there's no room for ornate setups. There's no room for traditional data center setups. There's no room for smart PDUs that monitor every single thing you need. You just need the bare minimum to get by in terms of OPEX, in terms of CAPEX, and you're head and shoulders like in front of everybody else who wants fancy setups. Yeah. I mean, yeah. specifically for us, what we're doing on an oil field too, containers just make infinitely more sense because we're potentially going to move from well pad to well pad as the uh, potential gas depletes over time. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so building them on trailer beds, um, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, I think on the container side, you're definitely seeing because there's so much innovation going into container builds, whether it's, you know, what we can probably talk about a little bit later versus passive versus active design. Our design is active. We have powered fans that are helping with the airflow. There are some designs that are passive. Um, but in, in theory, it really boils down to what Austin was talking about, which is can you drive your operational, uh, at least, you know, your, your initial CapEx down to as low of a number as you possibly can to help you get, you know, your payback as fast as you can. And so, um, you know, a, a year or so ago, you're talking $200,000 easily for like a one megawatt container. Now have you've seen those numbers, if you're going to buy one commercially, you know, start to come down um, pretty dramatically. And of course, you've got a lot of offshore Chinese, you know, brands and things like that, that you can buy, but would require, you know, tons and tons of uh, modifications to get them up to spec. So that's why we decided to build our own and then also work, you know, along with Austin and modify some of the designs that, that he had as well. So we've kind of incorporated the two. Yeah. It's been a beautiful, it's been beautiful seeing it all come together specifically like the last six months. And so I guess that's probably the next topic we should um, jump into is, sort of the pace we're moving with the oil company we're working with and the, the learning curve of the oil company. And Tom, you've been uh, the man, the, f the forward-facing man with the oil company. What has their learning experience been like? What have you seen and how hard has it been to sort of educate them about this? Mm. Well, I think just like Bitcoin, you have to be willing to learn. So 
thankfully we had one person inside this company um, who was intrigued by this because first and foremost, they were not satisfied with the solutions that they had for flaring currently. Um, not only was it costing their company a lot of money to do um, these natural gas liquid setups or just flaring them. Um, so he was looking for a cheap alternative that, that ultimately was, was it. They hear all kinds of people come in and say that they could do this, but it never ends up working out. We, I wouldn't say we got lucky, but we were very fortunate in terms of our timing because Crusoe, who's um, another company that's doing this, who have been at it a little longer than we have, probably about 12 months longer than we have, they had already approached uh, this company and, um, and had already been very active. They're, they're, you know, they've, they've done a lot of uh, work with promotional kind of components inside the oil and gas industry. So the oil and gas industry is no different than anything else. It's a kind of a good old boys network. Everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone knows what everyone else is doing. And so in that scenario, it was like, hey, this is this new thing on the block. And we kind of just came alongside around right around the same time and said, hey, we're doing this too. And um, we just happened to develop a really good relationship with the company that we're working with. And, um, and we said right from the beginning that we were going to be an open book for them. Like we'd, we'd be very transparent with our data and, um, and, and all of the findings that we were going to learn because we knew we were going to make some mistakes. But we ultimately believed, and we told them this right from the beginning, was two years from now, we're not going to be the main operators. I mean, we might be the facilitators of the ones who are managing these, but the oil and gas producers themselves were going to be the miners eventually once they like, you know, once the rabbit hole, you know, gets them. And so we wanted to take that uh, initiative to get them down the rabbit hole. And they said, okay. And they're so the reason why they moved so quick, it took us about, uh, we, we signed an MSA, which is called a master service agreement. It's a very long, complicated process. I had no clue about uh, this prior uh, to doing, um, you know, this project. Um, so it was lots of legal paperwork, lots of compliance, um, tons of training that has to go through. Uh, obviously, the insurance requirements of being on a well pad are not uh, trivial. But once we were willing to, I guess, put our skin in the game on that, uh, we were approved and then we were the first one. We kind of beat everyone else who was kind of racing against us uh, at the time. And so it worked out pretty well because we got in before everything froze. And then, you know, since the whole coronavirus thing has happened, a lot of the oil and gas companies have kind of frozen a lot of their, you know, projects that they were working on, things like that. So we've already got kind of like an, an in with them and a working relationship with data flowing in both directions on gas consumed uptime etc yeah no it's i guess that's another good point too are, are we allowed to mention the uh the study that we may be a part of um i would just say this that uh we were introduced um we got intro to a um research center that's tied into a university um in that area that their main problem that they're focused on is the flaring issue. And so we are going to be entering into um, a pilot project to essentially allow them to see and validate from like a third party perspective, how the solution holds up um, from the flaring side of things. So yeah, we're excited for that to continue. And so six months or wherever we are, almost six months in now, 
do we think that the oil companies are going to have this aha moment? Do you, is it really worth it for them in the long run? Or are we, are we just being hopeless romantics that, that, uh, that Bitcoin fixes everything and will fix it for them as well? Uh, or do you, mm. if you would have asked me that question, uh, March, what is it? 10th or 11th, 12th, you know, there's like, that was like doomsday week, not only for like the markets, but initially it was, if, if you go back, it was started by the oil market, literally, was like the starting point that the match got lit when it dropped. Um, if you would have asked me back then, I would have said, okay, we just want to hunker down and just like ride it out. Uh, you know, not make a, not necessarily a scene, but essentially just become invisible to whatever they have to deal with uh, for the foreseeable future. Cause they had a, a massive triage um, scenario that they're, you know, most of these oil companies are cutting their, um, you know, their operational expenses upwards of, 50 to 60% of what they were going to. So they had some things they had to get in, you know, handled, but more so I would say in the last two to three weeks, as you kind of, you know, soak all this in is that um, I think we're actually closer to getting them to see uh, Bitcoin as a viable pipeline alternative than we were prior to that. Um, because you know, prior to that, it was just this, you know, let's make my headache go away of having to deal with flare credits. Um, whereas like, oh, wow, we're, we really need to figure out alternative streams of revenue and how to extract value from what we have. Cause they were kind of like in a, you know, they made so much money off their oil that this other stuff really didn't make a difference. Whereas I think now there's at least a willingness to say, hmm, what are some other innovative things that we can do um, to, uh, come out ahead in, in the next upturn, which ultimately is the same mindset that these oil and gas companies had during the last downturn. Um, and that's how the fracking, you know, and, and everything kind of came on online back then during a down market. Yeah. And also, what, were, what was the uh, the main source of energy that you were using for your miners before? before oh, GAM? grid for sure. Grid power. I mean, there's some, there was some wind yeah. stuff in the pipeline um, that never quite took off like I thought it was, um, but yeah, grid for sure. And how, how did the um, two sources compare in your mind? Specifically like gas versus wind or gas versus some of the hydro stuff that I've consulted on or gas versus grid power? Uh, get into the intricacies of the, uh, yeah, the source I, of the power, I mean, whether it be wind or hydro. Gas is great when the well pads up, like when your well's flowing, if it shuts in, you don't have any gas. Um, same thing with wind, the wind stops blowing. You don't have any electricity being generated. Um, hydro is good, but hydro is all tied up in like these cabals of companies that are owned by PE firms who want more than what the energy is actually worth. And so I think that like the gas stuff is good as long as you can keep the wells up period. And I mean, the way that we do it, it's what 99.5% uptime so far, uh, which is really kind of fantastic, but that's more on the operator. Um, it's not really on us. Sure. Our, our stuff works, but they're keeping their well up. So that's why it right. works. Yeah. And so I guess that's a good, a good comment because obviously right now the consolidation in the oil and gas market, especially shale here in the U.S., is pretty massive. Everybody's uh, getting into the hole and figuring out what they need. 
And like you alluded to, Tom, these companies are going to be uh, sort of looking for alternative streams of revenue, which Bitcoin mining provides. And so as they get into the hole and sort of consolidate, it's just trying to convince them that, hey, on the few well pads that you still have producing, like you should also keep Bitcoin in mind uh, to to consume that waste gas. Absolutely. I mean, the the one metric that obviously is the hook that gets the fish with with them is that there's a certain dollar value that's associated to their gas. So they base it off of what they call MCF. And so there's like a baseline wholesale price of like, I don't know, like a dollar 70 or something like that. Now, through our, you know, data, and this isn't, you know, Steve Barber's talked about this, other guys who are doing uh, similar things have talked about, um, and this is why we're all invested in doing this, is that when you back out Bitcoin to that same wholesale gas value, um, you're talking, even in a down market, is five times more profitable uh, to mine Bitcoin rather than sell it into a pipeline at that um, price. And so... It's just making them comfortable enough to know that it's actually real. Because it sounds like crazy to them that they could theoretically get that value out of that gas. Um, and so they're just more, you know, I guess like not skeptical, but more hesitant. And so that's why the every day, it's kind of like the, the story with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a self-fulfilling prophecy because every day in the day before it was still there and it was still doing its thing. And I think the same thing with us, you know, when we talk to some of the boots on the ground there on the patch, they're always just like, yeah, it just works. Like it just continues to work. And I guess maybe some of the other things that the other alternatives that happen to take place on an oil pad, whether it's natural gas, liquid processing and requires, you know, these huge condensers, I guess there's a lot of like maintenance issues. We typically don't have the same type of maintenance issues that they have. So uh, I think, you know, just, it's just play, being on the, the, the ball field and being able to play and go through each inning and eventually like you know we're going to get over the tipping point no i agree and because they're alternative like ngl what's their uptime like 50 percent or something like that it's pretty terrible isn't it right and then the capital cost for the ngl market it, or for, for that initial infrastructure is about two to three times what it would be for an equivalent bitcoin setup and then at the same time, the, uh, the, the way that most oil and gas producers work is they do, they do not want to take on a lot of risk, which I totally understand. Um, so they end up not buying the equipment. They end up you, you know, utilizing these NGL, um, I would say, service providers similar to what we are. And they have like a lease type scenario, um, you know, like a service fee. And then they have some type of rev share built in. But, um, you know, when the natural gas mar or natural gas liquid market first came out, they were converting the gas into natural gas liquids. And then those liquids would then be valuable on the, on the secondary market. Um, and so it was a good deal for them. Now those, mar now those liquids are virtually um, worthless. And yet, and it's still costing them to produce that same, you know, output. So, uh, you know, I think they're, they just want to take their time see what they're dealing with. But in reality, it's a simple digital conversion from gas to electricity. We're just creating little mini, I wouldn't call them power plants, but eventually that's what they potentially are to them. If they are the ones who are going to be owning that asset. How much, how much potential gas can be consumed out there right now? If, if production is, 
at a steady pace and obviously above where it is now when the economy gets back up and running at some point people are driving their cars and consuming gas what's the what's the potential yeah. waste energy that can be consumed uh, i think reed's gonna probably yell at me later because i don't have this off the top of my head but i i want to say that just the provider that we're working with um has hundreds of megawatts um available and that's just like, you know, we're not, we're not talking, you know, Exxon valid. I mean, like it's just this one player in the field. So you're talking gigawatts and gigawatts of, of, of gas. that's just being flared. Not that's going into a pipeline, not that's having other, any other value, just that's, that's just that that is being flared currently. So is GAM helping the environment at the end of the day? That's a question I ask a lot and I would, I mean, we're working on getting the data to back it up, but. It's uh like we hopped in uh, the Slack and Reet and I had this conversation. It seems like the generators were using uh, the opportunity cost of wasting the gas uh, instead of turning it into Bitcoin and getting value out of it. It seems like we are making it more efficient and, and helping the environment. Is this is this true in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you just follow the flow instead of uh, the output of that gas being in the raw form that it just gets burned up versus going through an engine then going through catalytic converters and going through that whole process of you know all of the engines that are mostly used and the gensets that are mostly used on these well pad sites have um you know strong epa ratings specifically for this use case so um no we i feel really good about uh that aspect of things N never mind the down the road impact of the amount of infrastructure that will not need it. You know, like think about all the pipelines and going through, uh, you know, people's, you know, backyards and through forests and you won't have to do that. You literally have these places where gas is available and you'll be able to extract that value right on that well pad and not put anybody else in danger with any leaks, breaks, explosions, et cetera. That's a pretty good point. Austin, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, consuming it on site is always better. You know, that's that's what we're doing, right? We're consuming the gas right there locally, um, and essentially providing liquidity where there is no liquidity. Especially for some of these well pads that we've seen that are stranded and can't be connected to a pipeline. Um, I think from an environmental perspective, I'm not well versed enough to talk about whether we're helping the environment or not. Uh, I think, like Tom said. Reed can speak more to that. Um, might be a good follow-up session for us to get him on here and talk about the intricacies of the oil and gas industry because he he he's forgotten more than I know and more than Tom knows. Um, right. And so I, I think that that's a that's a question for him. I'm gonna, I'm going to go ahead and just give it to the experts. Yeah. yeah, and that's and to just you know quick follow up on that. That's part of the reason why we want to partner with um, some of these research um, groups as well. So they can be the ones that determine uh, the efficacy of that or not. Yeah, that's a very good point. My uh, my Bitcoin is the real Green New Deal meme. It's uh, are you going to be the AOC of <laughs> God? No, yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah, no. It, it seems it seems like it could work out, but hopefully we could, we're able to back it up with data very soon. Well, yeah, I mean, and you know, for us too, I think you know the way that we look at it is you know, gas company or oil and gas companies, they have lots of capital to spend if they want to. Um, so 
eventually like what every miner needs uh is the ability for to do it at scale you you actually need it's a very capital intensive uh game it's not cheap to mine you're talking at a minimum uh a million dollars a megawatt um sometimes it's more than that um and so when you think about that in terms of being able to scale you know the the industries that make the most sense for that are you know uh, energy companies and that's essentially you know uh, whether it's a large wind farm or uh, an oil and gas producer or a hydro farm or a hydro plant they would fall into that same category yeah now and again these oil and gas companies provide you alluded to it earlier tom the cheap and scalable energy in one spot that is necessary to scale a mining operation at a reasonable cost and so what does this mean for Bitcoin mining in the long run if these oil and gas companies do come around and they do start retrofitting their fields with Bitcoin miners in mass? Like right now, there's not enough hardware mm. on the planet to do it for probably even the one we're working with, let alone every oil and gas company in America and then the world by extension. Yeah, I think it'll I think it will continue to. Uh, happen at the pace it needs to happen at. I think there is definitely a lot of attention and adoption that's starting here in the United States in their very different types of miners versus what we see in other parts of the world. So, you know, I'm thinking that this kind of unstable kind of environment that we're in right now will actually be a catalyst for a lot of innovation to take place. Um, I don't know exactly how they'll treat it, right? Like there's a part of this where, okay, well, what would a publicly traded oil company that's doing this, like how would they manage their Bitcoin treasury? Like, are they sophisticated enough to deal with uh, multi-sig wallets? Uh, you know, what does, does um, them choosing a pool like slush pool, does that, you know, change any dynamics in which they're able to operate from a, you know, um, compliance standpoint like there's all of these things that are like completely wild west territory right now we don't know that so uh i think it's just going to be more and more people just dipping their toes trying to understand and then you know um folks like us who and others who are kind of can come by and uh, you know try to figure it out with them because all of this is not you know it's not completely solved there's a lot of this that is um you know we we have to have essentially like self checks all the time like is this worth it like this is crazy some of the stuff that we have to to deal with um and yet you know i think it's part of the the process to evaluate this as an option yeah austin what about you uh, I think that the first oil and gas company that decides to go all in on this is going to become one of the largest Bitcoin miners in the world. Um, there's a significant amount of human capital that they're going to have to use. A lot of them have their engineering teams already already built in, right? Um, they don't have to outsource a ton of stuff. Uh, they just have to actually look at the problem as a problem worth being solved. And whether that's, uh, you know, one of the majors or one of the, you know, mid-market players, I think that whichever one does it first and does it the right way and actually, you know, concentrates their value and concentrates their time and concentrates on solving that problem of, hey, we have all this flared natural gas that we should be consuming. We can't put it in a pipeline. We have to pay for the capacity. Let's just go digital with it. Um, one of my favorite sayings is that every company is a tech company. They just don't know it yet, right? That's the same with these oil and gas companies. 
And that's a really good point about the like the fracking and shale side of things because right now it's kind of all halted for the most part. But when they do an, a, a new well, the amount of um, gas that is cons that is produced in that first six months, actually less than that, first three months, is in orders of magnitude. Like for example, the pad that we're on right now, um, you know, we could probably extract about four or five maybe six megawatts worth of gas at the top end when that uh, well broke ground 12 to 18 months ago it was producing upwards of 75 megawatts so that's like you know it's and, and of course the uh, oil and gas producer is incentivized to try to capture as much of that at the beginning as possible but only an oil and gas producer could have enough capital to actually put the mining capacity in place to be able to do something like that, at least initially. And then it would essentially become a part of their, you know, their ongoing, um, you know, rig operation where they just, okay, we're going to go launch a new well. Okay. Here's this, you know, modular, you know, 30 megawatt, you know, Bitcoin mining, um, you know, containerized solution that travels with these new well pads and they launch, you know, most bigger oil and gas producers will launch anywhere between 30 to hundred new wells a year. Yeah. I mean, the opportunity is enormous. Uh, and I love that you said that every company is a tech company. They just don't realize it. Yet. And that's one thing I really love about working for Great American Mining particularly is that I've never been in the same room with everybody we work with, the small team that we have. Uh, we have Tom and Austin on the call now. We've referenced Reet, uh, who's the chemical engineer on, on team and is doing an incredible job. We've got Isaac and Todd as well. So it's a small mm -hmm. distributed team building out it's pretty crazy project, uh, which is, it's been incredible to see come, come together while we're all doing this via Slack and zoom calls. Yeah. And, you know, especially to the, I would say the craziest part of the entire experience was when we launched the, uh, the unit that we have in North Dakota, that was supposed to go live somewhere in November, lots of red tape. We rushed it. We, we literally, got the deal agreed uh, first or second week of October. And then uh, two to three guys, uh, Isaac, Reed, and we had another gentleman that was helping out, uh, literally did this in the backyard of, uh, of their friend's house who had some uh, equipment in Utah and built out the container that, um, that we have out there right now. And so within uh, four to six weeks, got it together, got our, our miners that we had ordered, our, our what's, what's minor M20Ss, they were delivered to us, and then we had it ready to be installed end of November, and it took about three and a half to four weeks of excruciating uh, issues after issue after issue on the well pad, working out gremlins with the generators, all kinds of um, other obstacles that took place. Our guys literally lived... Uh, on that oil patch for almost a month and a half in the, like in the middle of the winter, uh, putting that together. So true grit and determination just to get this up. It's crazy yeah, just it to get wild. this little box up. But then like you see the pictures of the flare stacks, like in the, our little 500 kilowatt container, like reducing the flare stack materially in pictures. And it, it, it's all worth it at the end of the day. And you can see your work, uh, tangibly in, in the flare stack that's been reduced. Um, yeah. What, uh, but overall, like 
bringing Bitcoin mining more hash rate, more hash power to North America and U.S. soil. What does that mean for you guys? I'll start with you, Austin. So I've I've always thought, um, and I think you know, you and I have gone back and forth on Twitter about this a few times about like Bitcoin mining in the United States being a matter of national security. Um, there are some other folks in the industry. Uh, Alex over Layer One thinks the same thing. Um, you know, currently the U.S. has a bit of a stranglehold on the on the world's financial system. If we truly believe that <laughs> it's going to be a Bitcoin first, Bitcoin only system moving forward, uh, whether that happens in five years, ten years, twenty years, fifty years, we need to bring as much uh, hash power onto U.S. soil and in North America and Canada and Mexico as we can. Um, I think this is a big step towards doing that, solving the the plethora of natural gas that we have underground and capturing that and turning it into into Bitcoin and mining Bitcoin with it. Uh, you know, same thing with the hydro in the Northeast and the Northwest. Um, solar's not quite there yet, but dude, we have, I mean, we have multiple gigawatts of, of wind production as well. that's underutilized right now. And so, yeah, whatever we can bring, um, here in the States to North America, it's, it's a, it's a big step moving forward. And then, you know, like we've talked about too, the fabrication facilities, right? Our chip fabs, that's another issue. We got it. We got to bring those over later, but it's uh, it's capital intensive and, and information intensive as well. And so moving the needle forward is, is what I care about right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's an order of operations long-term. We want to get a foundry on American soil in the next 20 to 30 years at some point. People say we're stupid for thinking that and it'll never happen, but 10 years. Why? I want it in 10 years. Well, hey, let's make it happen. And and yeah. and again, I've said this before. The order of operations may be, hey, we get the oil and gas companies realizing they can get the uh, parallel revenue stream with Bitcoin. Uh, they sort of start investing in it. And they're like, oh, man, uh, this is making a lot, a lot of money. We should protect it. And the supply chain of this forces us to... Uh, order a lot of hardware from China and, and places overseas. Uh, is that going as we're finding out now with the whole coronavirus uh, out out fall fallout? Excuse me. Uh, supply chains are are not very distributed right now. No, they're they're fragile, um, and that's that's a big part of vertically integrating as much as you can uh, with your mining operation. It's it's a huge huge advantage. Uh, I mean, it's even like kind of what we do at GAM where we build the containers. I'm designing and building new PDUs for us right now. Uh, so we don't have to, we don't have to order from manufacturers. We don't have to order from overseas. We're doing everything here um, because those supply chains are fragile, super fragile. Yeah. And I, I could foresee a scenario where it's not going to shift overnight. I could definitely see you know, like, you know, first of all, the two of the foundries are outside of China. So really it's the kind of like the glue that makes everything work is how the Chinese have that stranglehold on the ASICs right now. So we can potentially get chips that are outside of their reach. Um, I think there's just going to have to be a next step into what a Bitcoin mining machine is, right? Like there's a lot of talk about doing uh, immersion and I could see a scenario where like it becomes more standardized. You're like a rack system where you could 
um, maybe strip away. Yeah, it's expensive, but um, you could kind of strip away some of the things that make it more proprietary to like the, you know, the Chinese manufacturer. So I think, you know, just like anything else, there just needs to be incentives and whether that's uh, regulatory ones or, you know, things, you know, just from a monetary perspective, if, if you get enough um, energy producers who understand what's going on, uh, you could see things um, speed up pretty quickly. Yeah. This is a gradually then suddenly type thing. Um, I think Bitcoin itself and then the mining uh, industry. Because again, like if, if people, 20 million people out of work, that's what that's my one of my favorite tweets about Bitcoin of all time is Neil Wood finds it'll it'll induce a, a second enlightenment cause, and potential industrial revolution because there's just so much infrastructure to build out and so much to learn. Uh, like we've been describing this whole podcast, this has been a learning process, the whole journey for us, and nobody has complete information in this industry and in the small niche within the Bitcoin, Bitcoin ecosystem alone. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely want to uh, thank uh, Steve Barber, who, you know, put together or started that uh, oil and gas uh, telegram channel, oil and gas Bitcoin telegram channel. There's been um, uh, there is some 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 noise in there and a little less signal than there used to be, but uh, pretty much all the big players, um, whether there's, let's say, probably a half a dozen or so independent Canadians who are doing some stuff uh, north of us and then there's three or four of us in North Dakota and then I um, you know I've got some folks who are working on some stuff in Texas as well and uh, you know everyone's there sharing information asking different questions and of course one of the reasons why we all really love Bitcoin is that you can have a different interdisciplinary kind of skill or talent stack and um, you get you get all of those types um, you know, in there talking about um, different angles and, and things like that. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see where things go from here. Me as well. Austin, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think, I think we're all racing towards the, uh, towards the same finish line. Um, I would say, you know, I think the Canadians have, they're in a bit of a more dire situation than we are. I, uh, following Francis and following some of Steve's stuff, especially about what they do, um, in terms of exporting the oil from Canada, their, their incentives are a little bit, I wouldn't say more aligned than us in the States. Uh, but they have, they have a greater incentive to solve this problem up there. That's for sure. Yeah. No, I had the <laughs> pleasure of sitting down with Steve, drinking some beers, talking for two hours about it. Uh, his story's fascinating, man. Huge fan of Steve Barber. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, there's some really great uh, folks in that channel. And, and what I like about it is that, like, you know, Austin alluded to, there are very different use cases and incentive mechanisms depending on where you're at. So, you know, for us, we're a little closer to Canada in terms of like, uh, you know, like they're not even really allowed to like have flares per se it has to go into a pipeline north dakota there's incentives for them to you know bring down their flare volume but for the most part in other parts of the uh, country specifically in texas where the permian is where there's a i mean you know it's the largest field there is um they don't have regulations um focused on flaring yet 
And so it's always interesting because you you get some of these Texas oil guys who will be in the room and they're just trying to wheel and deal like, hey, let me sell you some gas. And it's like, oh, sorry, dude, it doesn't work that way. Like, yeah, unless you're mining this yourself, um, you need to either be paying us or the gas needs to be for free because like we, we're not going to mine something where we could just go plug in uh, at a data center somewhere for roughly the same cost. So you can tell there's been a little bit of... Um, you know, they, they, they can't wrap their head around that um, because for them, it's just much easier because like they only want to come out of the ground and go into a pipeline and they don't want to have the work of potentially investing in mining stuff uh, or mining, you know, infrastructure. So I think it's going to, for them, it's going to be a little slower adoption rate because there's not as much of a push for them to do it. Yeah. No, I would agree. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. What uh, what was that? Well, I was just going to say there's another guy who you're going to be potentially interviewing here, Marshall Holbrook, uh, who owns a, I don't know, is a variety of, of oil, uh, oil, not oil fields, gas fields in Kentucky. And so it's like a smaller, he's like much more of like a smaller independent player. But like he's took this route where in Kentucky, they have, I believe that's part of the Mar Marcellus Shale, they have a very dry gas. We have a very dirt, I wouldn't say dirty gas, but there's a lot more, that has a higher BTU rating. It's harder to burn. It's a little bit more rough on like the, um, the, the gensets. Down there, they've got very, very clean gas, very minimal scrubbing or taking out any water, et cetera. So he's essentially bootstrapped his own mining operation on his own land. And I mean, it's like, it's like the perfect Citadel conversation, I guess. Like he's got his, you know, he goes and buys secondhand uh, gen sets and, um, and old MS nines and literally just tries to drive the cost down as much as he can. And he's, he, and, and even though he's hooked up to a pipeline that he can very easily just turn the switch and send it to, he chooses to mine Bitcoin because Bitcoin is more, more profitable by a lot than sending it to the pipeline. So those types of, of people, those types of stories, I think eventually will lead to bigger players as well. Yeah. Uh, so why do you guys, how'd you guys get into Bitcoin originally? Why, why are you into Bitcoin outside of the mining? Uh, what, uh, what drove you here to go on this mad dash to form fit oil fields with shipping containers filled with hardware? Go for it, Austin. Uh, I like solving problems. Um, and Bitcoin solves a really, really big problem uh, ideologically. And, uh, you know, from a capitalist perspective, if I can make money solving that problem, I'm happy with that. You know, I, I think all of us who are in this space and most people who listen to your podcast, Marty, they understand that the feds added trillions and trillions of dollars to their balance sheet, right? Singly out of thin air. We have, what, is, what does Neil say? Infinite amounts of capital, infinite amount of money, right? You can um, print as much cash as you need, baby. <laughs> yeah, as much cash as you need. And so, uh, you know, similar to gold, which don't get me wrong, I think, I think gold is great. Uh, I just think Bitcoin's better, Um if if you've read if you read VJ's long long medium post, what was it two years ago, three years ago that he put out? The bullish case for Bitcoin. Bullish case for Bitcoin, right? He he compares uh, he compares 
the two um, very intricately. And from from a technological perspective, uh, you know, people look at Bitcoin as digital gold. I think it's oversimplifying what it is. Um, it's it's a censorship resistant, free way to communicate value across the internet, right? And that is a fascinating problem to solve and a fascinating problem to work on. And so that's that's kind of what's always driven me towards it. Um, I had friends in college who were like mining in our dorm room back in 2011. And I thought they were crazy, but I was still fascinated by it, right? And so it's uh, it's just a problem that needs to be solved, like I, like I alluded to earlier. And the more that we can solve that problem, the, you know, the more efficiencies we can kind of eke out of whether we're mining on gas or hydro or wind or, you know, whatever our source is or nuclear, which is nuclear is going to happen in the next five years, freaks. It's going to happen. Thor- thorium reactors are on the way. <laughs> They're on the way. Um, that's, that's why I'm here uh, to kind of to ride that wave of, of solving the Bitcoin problem. Well, thank you for, for riding this wave. I'm happy to have you on it. Not that happy to be on it with you. Not that it's my wave or anything. It is your wave. That's the best part. <laughs> Tom, what about you? Uh, specifically, the problem that we're working on right now, uh, I I would say two things. Uh, the people uh, that that's the team that I get to work with. Uh, we like, we like love and fight with each other like a family. Uh, but ultimately, you know, to see how much everyone has. Um, essentially, you know, just blood, sweat, and tears, the amount of time waking up at three in the morning because, you know, we get an alarm going off because the, uh, the generators have lost pressure and there's all hands on deck. Um, you know, like, you know, just trying to figure out this problem for the past almost three years has been like a labor of love. And I've always been a entrepreneur at heart. I've been very fortunate to work, uh, for the parent company, um, and do entrepreneurial things inside the company and kind of spearhead like new projects and things like that. So this one started out very similarly to other projects that I had worked on, but kind of just took on a life of its own. I became essentially obsessed with mining. I even have my own mining podcast that isn't as regular as it should be, but um, just so I could try to level up on trying to understand everything that is involved with this. And uh, and I, I think um, Austin made a good point. There's a lot of people that, you know, say that they're experts, but that's kind of the, I guess, like the tell is that there are really no experts. Like the people that are doing it every single day, like that's as close as you can get to an expert, but we still are just literally, everyone's still figuring it out. Yeah. And I mean, the amount I've learned alone, I I've have a very small part, like on the biz dev side, just trying to help make sure that we can expand. Like I'm not dealing with the PDUs or getting into the nitty gritty of, uh, engineering the miners and setting up the electrical work but just from being in the slack alone have learned an immense amount about electrical engineering mechanical engineering uh what goes into these miners how to for uh fine-tune them it's crazy and neil foot neil Woodfine was right like it's gonna like i feel like a renaissance man being able to learn about monetary policy and the hardware energy the energy industry i've learned so much about oil and gas in the last eight months alone it's it's insane there's lots of rabbit holes tons of them it's a it's a rabbit hole fantasy right you're just there 
It's a rabbit hole fractal. <laughs> more and more. It is. Down. It is. And and all of us too, like, you know, to kind of add on earlier, we love privacy. Like we don't want to see a surveillance state. We we like the Hong Kong protests, right? We like the 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 underdog fighting against an overreaching state. And I think that's a lot of what Bitcoin stands for as well. Um, at least to me. So Yeah, it's very American and I, I would say like American uh, Americana in terms of uh, the the spirit behind it. So, uh, you know, embracing this avenue to do uh, mining in this way, I feel is like very much in line with that. Yeah, it's a true Wild West. It's a true, like, it's truly free where you can, if you have the uh, the drive and the ability to attempt to build this out, or like we've been alluding to, there's so much to do and if you're willing to do it you can innovate and do stuff that people have never done before in a permissionless way totally i'm expecting in the next mm, I'm, I'm hoping by some of just just us having this conversation and some of the other conversations that you're having with folks who are um kind of in the same realm as us is that um, people will even take it further right like you know you could potentially buy your own gas field you know, there's like, there's like leases available. You could take it over. And like, I'm sure there are going to be people from a, a speculative side start doing things like this. Um, so I, I can't wait for what's going to happen in the next 12 months. Well, we're an hour in gentlemen. I think that's a, uh, that's enough of a little teaser for the freaks out there. I was just giving that bite. I know we've got uh, calls and family to get back to. Uh, is there anything particular that either of you wants to touch on before we wrap up here? The only thing I can think of is, uh, you know, especially in terms of the oil and gas industry, it would greatly benefit your listeners to have Reed Browning on here. He, uh, he knows it inside out and he's the one that built a lot of the stuff within the container as well. Uh, the racks, the fans, the intakes. I'm, I'm just the one, Isaac and I are just the ones that like make it work and collect the data. Um, redesigned and built a lot of it. And he uh, he's very, very well-versed in that industry. So, Yep, I just, I agree. I, I look at this as an, uh, just the start of a, of a conversation within the Bitcoin community about how, like how we can support this. And uh, we look forward to being able to kind of share, you know, now that we've kind of come out of like this pseudo private mode, um, we're really excited to continue to, like allow, you know, your listeners, people that we, you know, uh, communicate with via like our website or, you know, articles that we'll write, et cetera, um, the process. Um, so yeah, getting people introduced to the rest of the team um, and also dealing with some of the uh, potential challenges of like this market that we're in right now. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, so uh, we'll be making sure that people are aware of this and um, look forward to mining a lot of Bitcoin even after the happening. <laughs> A lot of uncertainty, but a lot of opportunity. And yes, it would be remiss if we did not give Reed all the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? All the, uh, all the praise he deserves. It's again, I, I talk about learning a lot about the oil and gas industry. It's all from him. Uh, and he's very, very big reason we were even working with this company. Um, yes. But the biggest reason is Papa Todd, yes. who, uh, 
<laughs> who's kind of made this all happen because he's believed in this. And if you want to really be a uh, proponent of having skin in the game, like you can't get any more skin in the game than um, what Todd has done with this. Um, so uh, it's been cool because everyone has, I would say, um, had to put their own skin in the game in one way or the other, um, whether it's time, resources, money, et cetera. We've all done it and um, we all believe in it. And I think, you know, the reason, you know, Marty, you know, it wasn't like a situation where we said, oh, let's let's recruit Marty to, to do this. Like you were just part of organically around when it just happened, when it started. And then it was like you kept asking, well, dude, how can I help out more? Because this is like incredible. Like, I want to be a part of this. And uh, I kept saying, like, dude, just we got to get live on this pad and we got to do this. And you're like, OK, cool. Well, just let me know when when you're ready. And um, and so, you know, just from you know, December, January, when we went live to where we're at now, it's, you know, lots happened since then. And you've taken on a much bigger role with helping us uh, be a little bit more public about what we're doing and helping us uh, engage with folks who might want to help us uh, be able to grow this um, too. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all part of the team. We're excited yeah. about that. I mean, Todd, uh, yeah, again, we can't, we can't not shout out Todd either. I'm sorry, Todd, but we'll keep the best for last. He, uh, I mean, he builds these incredible distributed teams. He's driven and he gets shit done. I mean, this is, it's been a, a nonstop grind for three years. I don't know if, if I was uh, putting as much skin in the game as he was, if I'd be able to stomach it after the first year and a half alone. And it's, uh, yeah, going through that, that bear market of 2018, I think really hardens you. So, uh, it was a very, it was a very good thing to have because it's not, you know, all the mining ups and downs. And even in the last like three weeks was, it was like a walk in the park compared to that, to that yeah. bear market. All right, boys. I'm happy to be mining with you. Happy to be working with you. Uh, I hope you guys are safe wherever you are as this quasi hurricane blows through where I am. Uh, it's a pleasure to work alongside you and, uh, yeah. It, visit us at gam.ai is that what i should end it on <laughs> yeah you're the pitch man bro yeah. we're gonna work on the website we're gonna get again we alluded to it we're trying to get some good quality third-party research out there about what we're doing uh we're gonna be we're not gonna be pushy or like uh, uh we're gonna tell you about what we've done we're not gonna predict what we're gonna do how about that i like I that like, yeah um, so keep a lookout for what we're doing. We're, we're going to keep doing it the best of our abilities. And, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I hope you learned a little bit. That's all we got this week, freaks. Peace and love. <laughs>